I'll share with you <clears throat> something very sad that I found on the internet this week. A man supposedly in his late 40s wrote this. I hate what I see in the mirror. I hate my past. I hate my present. I hate everything I am. I go to bed every night wishing I would wake up with some disease and only have a few months to live. That I would die on the way to work in a car wreck or have a massive heart attack. That would show them, wouldn't it? Would anyone really care if I was gone? I walk around feeling empty inside and nobody notices. Why can't anyone see how sad I am? Can anyone see how much pain I am in? Can anyone see me struggling to stay alive? I hate myself even more for having these thoughts. How weak is that? Why can't I be a real man and get over? I ask myself if this is a cruel joke God is playing on me. Is this payback for all the bad I've done in my life? Why am I here? I'm so pathetic and such a loser. The responses this fellow received in this forum were not much better. Somebody else said, you and me both, I know how you feel. Every day I wake up hoping to die. I've been through a lot in my lifetime. Most of the time I don't see what the point of living is. At university, everyone ignores me. No one cares about me. Most of my family hate me. I have no friends. I'm not even my own friend. Someone else responded. I know there are people who love me, but it doesn't make a difference to me. I feel like you. I'm a loser. A third response. Bro, I feel so close to you. I hate myself, and I hate myself that I hate myself at the same time. I don't know how to feel or what to feel. Sometimes I blame life and God, but then I hate myself and think I should just blame myself. I hate myself more than I hate this meaningless life. I hate my boring looks, my stupid brain, my weak body, and my ugly mouth that always says the wrong things. The fourth response, I go through life pretending I'm so happy. But if anyone even cared, they'd look deeper. Even though I am female, I totally understand how you feel. They all say life is a roller coaster, but it feels like it is only going down and down further each day. Someone finally on this forum responded, God loves you. There is nothing more important than that. But then the next commenter responded to that, saying, I wish I could believe in that premise, but I'm finding it hard these days. I have failed at everything I've ever done and tried. At the same time, I've done nothing wrong. I've been a hard-working, blue-collar guy all of my life. I've never broken a law or hurt anyone. Now, at 47, laid off for my job nearly a year, a wife of 19 years who looks at me like a loser, no kids, little savings. The only thing I truly love are my two dogs, who are always faithful. I look back and conclude that my life has been pointless, utterly meaningless. I hate myself so much that I love my own honesty about it. I hate myself so much that I pray for death. I'm a 30-year smoker and happy about it. Lung cancer, colon cancer, a massive coronary all sound good to me. I'll take any of them. Then I can go down for the long sleep and all of this will be over. No more worries, no more insomnia or nightmares, not another morning waking to nothing that's worthless pain. The only reason I haven't put a bullet through my head is because of the last remaining shred of Christianity that suicide is the ultimate sin from which there is no forgiveness. So I'm finding it harder to believe that God is here or cares. I've sinned like all humans on this planet and regret them all. But if he's there, he's forsaken me. I guess I don't blame him. I would too if I were him. Self-hate. Self-loathing. To hear the pain and the sadness, it's almost overwhelming. And yet, 
That's where some are. Some of us have self-hate and self-loathing down to a science. We wake up in the morning hating ourselves. We go to bed at night. We look in the mirror and we think that's a person that I just don't like. Wish I could be somebody else. But the thing that I want to point out to you this morning is it doesn't have to be like that. I have no doubt that there are some here this morning that hear that and just think that is just awful. That is terrible. I can't believe there are people who feel that way. But there are others here who might be saying, I could have written that. And the thing that I want us to note this morning is that we don't have to hate ourselves. We really are allowed to love ourselves. And it is not more spiritual to despise who we are and what we've become. God wants us to love ourselves and to love ourselves properly as He loves us. I just want us to spend some time this morning talking about that. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we do love you and we are so thankful that you have loved us. We know in so many ways we are unlovable and yet your love gives us hope. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to love you and submit to you and surrender our lives to you. Help us to love those who are around us. Help us, Father, to have a proper view of ourselves, a godly view, a view like yours of ourselves, that we can love ourselves as you would have. Father, we praise your name and we're thankful that you give us these messages of hope, messages of serenity, messages that that help us to, to know that you love us. Help us to lift one another up and love each other so that we can grow and be strengthened so that you can be glorified. Father, we do love you so much and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. Some people don't like themselves or hate themselves or loathe themselves because they recognize their sins. They they know all the bad things that they've committed and every time they are reminded of them and every time they do it again, they hate themselves just a little bit more. I can understand that. I've been there. Some people, they don't like themselves because they're too thin or they're too fat, they're too tall or they're too short or, or they're out of proportion or you know their ears are too big or whatever it is. They look in the mirror and they see something and they, when they look at their body, it's not just I don't like how my body looks, it's I don't like myself because that's who I am. I can understand that. I've been there. Some folks, they don't like themselves because they, they're wanting to be perfect and they keep making mistakes. And, of course, there's a lot of times people there to point out all the mistakes that they make and every time they fall short of that goal of perfection, it just causes them to hate themselves even a little bit more. And I can understand that. There's some folks who look at their friends and their relationships and they see the people that they've hurt because we all hurt people at times and they look at that and like that fellow who says he hated his mouth because it always said the wrong thing. And they think about all the things they've said and, and they'll go into situations and they say, I'm not going to do this this time, I'm not going to do it. And then they end up saying it anyway. And when it's all said and done, they hate themselves just a little bit more. And I understand that. And then, of course, they come to church on Sunday and they see everybody in their Sunday clothes and their Sunday faces and it looks like everybody else is living perfect little lives and everything is wonderful and so they hate themselves a little bit more because they're not strong like everybody else and things aren't going just perfectly like everybody else. And I can understand that too. I know that I've wasted a lot of time in my life 
not liking myself for one reason or another. And maybe in your world that hate is too strong of a term. Maybe you wouldn't say, I don't, well, I don't hate myself, but how do you treat yourself? When you make that mistake, what do you say to yourself? Uh, I'm such an idiot. I am such a loser. I can't get anything right. You ever talk to yourself like that? Let me ask you, if you talk to your spouse or your kids the way you talk to yourself, would anybody think you were loving them? I understand. I've been there. And then I read Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. In verse 36 of Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But he goes on. He didn't stop with the greatest commandment. He tells the second greatest commandment as well. He said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I've preached on these verses. I've read these verses over and over again. I've been in classes on these verses. And we see the two commandments there, but we realize that there's actually a third statement in this. That's not a commandment because it's just expected. How are we supposed to love our neighbors? As we love ourselves. He doesn't command it. He just assumes it. I want you to see how profound that is. In Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul is talking to the husbands, he said, love your wives as you love your own bodies. Once again, it's not the, the love of self wasn't commanded. It was just assumed. I, I want you to see how profound that is. God is not telling us we have to go do something. God just expected us to do this. And it was the foundation for our ability to love everybody else. The reality is, one of the very sad things is far too many of us do love everybody else as we love ourselves. We don't love ourselves very much and we don't love anybody else very much either. But when we can learn to love ourselves as God loves us and as God wants us to, That'll open the doors to be able to love others in healthy and godly fashion. Here's the thing I want you to see. We are allowed to love ourselves. God wants us to love ourselves. Not only does He want that, He expected that. But we're so afraid that, well, if I get into that, I might go overboard. We've learned a new uh, Benjamin Franklin statement this week. A person wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. I agree with that. We're worried about getting caught up like that, aren't we? When we start talking about loving ourselves, we start thinking, wait a minute, hold on now. That's selfishness. That's being self-centered. We're not allowed to do that. We're supposed to love God and love others. But but that loving others is based on how we love ourselves. So how are we supposed to do that? How do we love ourselves properly? Look in 1 Corinthians 13. 
I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as it tells us what love is and what love does, it will provide for us a guideline to make sure that we're loving ourselves properly. Obviously, we really need to talk to two people as we look at this. We do need to talk to the person who thinks way too much of themselves and who is wrapped up in themselves, but we also need to talk to the person who doesn't like themselves. And take a look at what this passage says about how we really need to treat ourselves so that we can treat others properly as well. The passage says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I just want us to look at this list. And notice what it says about how we need to treat ourselves. Love is patient. Are you patient with yourself? Did you sin this week? I know I did. Sometimes when we get caught up in sin again, there's a part of us that says, and I'm just never going to make it. I am just so awful. I am just a rotten person. I, I'm miserable. I don't deserve anything. I'm worthless. I, I, can't, I know why everybody hates me. I hate myself. Why do I just keep sinning? It's terrible. You know what? Love is patience. Or maybe you're on a job and you're having trouble getting up to that skill level on the job that you're wanting to get up to. Maybe there's something you're wanting to learn and, and you're struggling with that. Maybe you're in school and you're having struggles keeping up with what's being taught. And you begin to feel down about yourself. Love is patient. Love recognizes that time is not the enemy. A lot of us want to fix the world by the weekend, and that's just not going to happen. A lot of us want ourselves fixed by the weekend, and that's not going to happen either. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter 3 and verse 9, we learn about God and His patience. He said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The mere fact that we are still here says God is being patient with us. If God can be patient with us, how much more can we be patient with ourselves? I'm not saying look the other way and say it doesn't matter. But just recognize that we're growing. We make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. But we're going to get there because God is with us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. What does it mean to be kind? When you talk about being kind to others, what do you think about? You say nice things to them. You know, it is okay to say nice things about yourself. It is okay to say nice things to yourself. It's okay to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, you know what? You look good today. It's okay to say, I did a good job on that. Now think about interviews when the boss wants to know your weaknesses and your strengths. Sadly, far too many of us can fill the page with weaknesses. Then when it comes to strengths, we sit there and say, I really don't know. Because we have this idea that I'm not allowed to think like that. I'm not allowed to say that I do something good or well. We're, we're allowed to be kind to ourselves. I'll tell you a very important part of this is we are allowed to take care of ourselves. I fear that sometimes we have so emphasized sacrificing ourselves for others, which is something we are supposed to do. But I feel that we have so emphasized sacrificing ourselves for others that we have forgotten that we are allowed to take care of ourselves. 
Are you tired? You are allowed to sleep. Not right now. But you know what? It is okay to be a person who tells folks, guys, I have to have eight hours of sleep every night. That's okay. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. If your body needs that, then you need it. Get it. Does your body need some food? Then get something to eat. Do you need some alone time with just you and God? Then despite all the pressures that are going on out there, take some. You know, the fact is the world is not going to come to an end because you tell folks, I need some time alone. Don't call me right now. I need to spend some time with me and God. The, the world is not going to fall apart because you don't answer the phone sometimes. Your kids are not going to die if you tell them, I can't deal with this right now. i got to get something to eat. Your kids are not going to die if you tell them, this is my breakfast, not yours. Go get your own. You're allowed to do that sometimes. I want you to look at Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus had fed the 5,000. And in verse 22, I want you to notice what it says here. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not that big. It doesn't take hours and hours to get from the top of it to the bottom of it, let alone from one point just to another. Here these guys were out there beaten against the waves for hours. Jesus would be able to stop that and take care of them. But what's Jesus doing? He's taking some alone time. He sent everybody away. Now, I want you to notice, when did he send them away? In the evening? Does anybody know when the fourth watch of the night is? 3 a.m. They had four watches starting at 6 o'clock. Each one was three hours long. The first watch is 6 to 9. Second watch is 9 to 12. Third watch is 12 to 3. Fourth watch is 3 to 6. 3 a.m. He sent them away in the evening. They were on that boat for hours while Jesus was just up there praying. He took care of himself. We need to learn the lesson that the stewardess tells us. Anybody ever fly on a plane? Okay, there's a couple. What's the stewardess say? If the cabin depressurizes and that mask falls out, take care of everybody else around you and put their mask on first, right? No, say put your mask on first and then help others. Why? Because we can't give what we don't have. And sadly, there are far too many of us that are killing the goose that laid the golden eggs. We're giving out eggs, but we're killing ourselves while we're doing it, and we can only help for a little while. If we really want to be able to love others and take care of them, there is a part of us that has to take care of ourselves first. We are allowed to be kind to ourselves. Love doesn't end me. You know, one of the biggest problems with, with those who who don't like themselves, it's because all too often they look at somebody else and that's who they want to be. 
wish I could be like that guy. He's so good at this, or he's so good at that. Or, or for the ladies, wish I could be like that woman. They're so good at this. Why well, they never have any problems. Every time I go over to their house, their house is just spotless. Wish I could be like that. We don't need to envy. So often we come here and we look at others and it looks like their lives are all together and we're just so envious of the spiritual strength and perfection we see around us. But do you know what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means about all these people that are around you that you're sometimes envious of? We've all sinned too. There's no need to envy. We're all in the same boat. You may be better at some things than I am, and I may be better at some things than you are, but we're all in the same boat. We're all different, but we're all sinners. There's, There's no need to envy. There's no need to place somebody else up on some pedestal like we need to be who they are. We don't have to envy others. We don't have to compare ourselves to others. And the other side of that is the next thing. It says love doesn't boast and is not arrogant. This is one of those things that demonstrates that the godly love that we're talking about here is not talking about being wrapped up in self. It's not, even being kind to ourselves and saying nice things to ourselves is not that cocky, arrogant, boastful, look at how awesome I am. Doesn't everybody else wish they could be as awesome as me? We're not talking about that. That's not love. That's self-centeredness. That's selfishness. That's arrogance. And love doesn't do that. I think about Luke chapter 18 and we see the Pharisee the tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself in Luke 18.11 says, I th- God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm so amazing. That's not love. The Pharisee wasn't loving the tax collector. He really wasn't loving himself. The fact is, the idea of lifting myself up by finding folks that I can think I'm better than is, is very shallow. And in reality, all it does is set me up to despise myself when I find somebody that I can't do that with. Essentially, love just doesn't compare us to anybody else. We stay on our side of the street when we love ourselves. And we work on us when we love ourselves. Others are rude. Yours may say unseemly. When I was thinking about this, at first I had some trouble figuring out, well, how's this one going to fit? Rude seems to be what we do to others. But but I read some more on that website that I read from earlier. I read the story of a young lady who talked about how much she hated herself and how much she wanted love, and so what she did was turn to sexual immorality, in her words, with dirty old men. And it hit me. How many of us who have problems with ourselves and don't like ourselves, we do unseemly things with ourselves. It's almost like this self-sabotage. It's this idea that we don't deserve good things, so we're going to do bad things to ourselves and with ourselves. And some folks, they don't love themselves, and so they go off and they seek this love in sexual immorality. Some folks, they might turn to drugs or to alcohol. They might turn to overeating. They might turn to who knows what. But you know, here's the thing. We are allowed to love ourselves. We don't have to turn to that stuff. We don't have to sabotage our lives 
with unseemly and rude behavior. We can choose differently. We can choose to love who we are and who God has made us to be. We can make different choices. And seeking for that love and meaning and all those other things, that unseemliness, that rudeness. Love does not insist on its own way. Once again, we learn that the love we're talking about here is not the arrogance and the boastfulness and the self-centeredness and the selfishness. Love does not insist upon its own way. Those who love themselves, remember Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, where God said there is a way that seems right to man and it ends in death. When we love ourselves, we have learned that my way is not the right way. My way won't get me there. God's way will. God's way works. When we love ourselves, we don't behave unseemly or rudely. Instead, we follow God's way. Instead of putting ourselves on that pedestal as if we are God, we recognize that there is a God and we're not Him. And so today... Instead of trying to go my own way, I'm going to go his way. Why? Because I love myself too much to follow my own ignorant leadership. My way is going to end in death, so I'm just going to surrender to God. Do we love ourselves that much, or do we keep insisting on our own way? Love is not irritable. Not provoked. Not exasperated. Some of us carry this kind of underlying anger with ourselves all the time. And every time we do something, it's just another reason just to be angry with ourselves, just to be irritable and blow up at ourselves and, and say, oh, you're such an idiot. I mean, even for the smallest things. Miss my turn. I am such an idiot. Just that that irritation, that exasperation, that anger, that provocation. You know, I recently heard that anger turned inward is a working definition for depression. And some of us just carry that with us all the time. My garage is not cleaned out, and every time I see it, I say something to myself about that. It's, when am I ever going to get this stupid garage cleaned out? I'm such a leader. I don't even know why I'm really like it anymore. You know, I mean, we can just say, we don't have to do that. So your house isn't exactly where you want it. You don't have to beat yourself up with anger. Maybe you're not as far along in your job right now as you'd hope you'd be at this age. You don't have to beat yourself up with anger. You don't have to be irritated with yourself about everything. So you made a mistake somewhere. You don't have to heap all that anger and shame upon yourself all the time. And it's almost like sometimes we have the idea that that's the spiritual thing to do. That the spiritual thing to do is for me to just lash out at myself because I keep making mistakes. We are allowed to be gentle with ourselves. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul said, For the sake of Christ... I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul wasn't hard on himself about his weaknesses. I'm not saying that Paul didn't look at them. I'm not saying Paul didn't try to work on them, but Paul was gentle with himself because he understood it was those weaknesses and mistakes that kept reminding him, oh, that's right, that's why I need Jesus. And if he didn't have any of those, he wouldn't know how bad he needed Jesus. 
We are allowed to be gentle with ourselves. We don't have to be irritated with ourselves all the time. And love does not resent. It's not resentful. Your translation may say, not take into account a wrong suffered. This is the idea of keeping score. We don't have to keep score. Some of us carry the baggage of all our sins with us everywhere we go. Whether we've been baptized or not, whether we've prayed about it or not, whether we've turned it over to God or not, whether we're working on it or not, we carry that baggage of our sin with us everywhere we go. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, beginning at verse 8, the psalmist says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to His children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He's thrown our sins from us. God doesn't carry our baggage of sin around over our heads. Why do we? We don't have to carry that. Look! Look around you. Every single one of us are sinners. We all need to admit that. And I'm not saying live in some type of fantasy land and act like we're perfect. No, we need to remember our sinfulness enough to remember that we need Jesus. And if we don't stay with Jesus, we're going to do it again. But we don't have to carry that baggage of shame and guilt and resentment and keep track. God's not doing that. He's trying to set us free from that. And I'll tell you what, the more we carry that baggage with us, the more we're just going to keep opening it up and putting those clothes back on. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I've often had trouble with this part of it because it looks like wrongdoing, or your translation may say unrighteousness, is an action whereas the truth is, is a concept, it seems. There's some passages that have helped me understand this a little bit better. If we look in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul wrote there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, that's the same word as wrongdoing in our passage, suppress the truth. And that's the same word as truth in our passage. And then we look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 8. And Paul there says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Truth, righteousness. Truth, wrongdoing. It seems that Paul is setting up that there's these two systems that can govern our lives. Truth or unrighteousness. Those who love themselves, they don't rejoice in unrighteousness, they rejoice in truth. When the system of unrighteousness is juxtaposed with truth, we learn what the problem with unrighteousness is. What is it? It's a lie. It's false. Remember what Satan said to Jesus there in Matthew chapter 4? He took him up to a very high mountain in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8 and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan puts that unrighteousness before us. And it's a lie. 
The problem is sometimes we can get caught up in the lie. We can really believe that if I take this vengeance on somebody, I'm really going to be happy. We can really believe that if I drink this alcohol, it's going to take away my problems. If I gamble this money, if I look at this pornography, we can really believe that in that unrighteousness we might find something of value and we rejoice in that and we allow our minds to get caught up in unrighteousness and fantasize about that and have these dreams and glory in that and oh, if only this, if only that. Boy, if I could just do this, how things might be different. And you know, the problem is once we start living in that fantasy world, what happens? You know, I know we look at Jesus' statement when he says if you looked on a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery with her already in your heart. And we've looked at that at like a definition of adultery, but I also think it's a warning. You know, Jesus is pointing out, you keep thinking about women like that, you keep fantasizing that, you keep living in that falsehood and, and, and let your mind dwell in that unrighteousness, your body's going to be doing it next. When we love ourselves, we rejoice in what is true, in what is real. We stay in reality. We stay in God's will, in God's reality. We think through this stuff and we realize, you know what? If I walk this path, it's going to kill me. I'm going to stay over on God's way. I'm going to rejoice in what is true. I don't have to rejoice in unrighteousness. I don't have to let Satan twist me about and send me down these paths. I can, I can love myself and follow God's right way. I can just do the next right thing. That's all I have to do. Love bears all things and endures all things. Life's not easy. And life is not fair. And things go wrong, and we do things wrong. We're going to do things wrong. Because we're all still growing. I guess this ties back with where we started about love being patient. But sometimes we might get into that awful predicament of things have gotten so bad that we've just decided to give up. Maybe we just decide to give up spiritually and just decide to just go off into whatever we want to go off into. Or maybe even tragically worse, we just decide to give up on life. But when we love ourselves, we realize we don't have to do that. We bear up. We continue on. We remember what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can continue on. I can keep putting one foot in front of another. My father-in-law used to make a statement. This too shall pass. I've heard of others say it too, but I remember him saying it. When tough things were going on in his life, this too will pass. God's going to get me through this too. So we can love ourselves and we can keep putting one foot in front of another and keep relying on God. And finally, love believes and hopes all things. Love believes and hopes all things. Sometimes those who despise themselves and hate themselves, they, they catastrophize things. I love that word. I think it, somebody made it up, but I knew I heard him say it. Catastrophize. 
That is, that they can look down the road and everything that happens today, we know we can look down the road and it's going to be awful. It's just going to be awful. I'm just sure that, you know, I did the wrong thing with my kids today and I know they're going to grow up and they're going to be on Dr. Phil one day. In fact, I might just get picked up by the police and hauled off. Oh, the financial world is so bad, I'm probably going to be living under the bridge someday. Oh, it's just so awful. My head hurts. I probably have a tumor. Listen, bad things happen. I know they do, but we don't have to catastrophize things. The first thought in our mind doesn't have to be, my wife's late. I wonder if she got in a car wreck. We actually are allowed to have hopeful thoughts about our future. The problem is so often we think we don't deserve anything good and so we're certain that the worst is going to happen. Brothers and sisters, we're children of God. I don't know everything that's going to happen in the meantime and yet some of us are going to have tumors. And some, for some of us, our wife is going to be late and we're going to find out it was because of a car wreck. I know bad things are going to happen. But in the end, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We are allowed, no matter what is going on right now, to look into the future and see hope and happiness and joy and positive things. We don't have to sit there believing that Because I've done something wrong, all I deserve is bad, awful, despicable things. And that's just what's going to come in my life. The sad thing is, too many of us believe that, and then we cause that to happen. And then we sit back and say, see, told you it was going to be like this. We're children of God. No matter where things are right now, we are able to look ahead and say things are going to be good. Because God is taking care of the end. My job today is to love Him and just do the right thing. We are allowed to believe and hope all things. Brothers and sisters, we are allowed to love ourselves in a godly way. We don't have to hate ourselves. We don't have to be mean to ourselves. We don't have to talk down to ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves, if I were treating somebody else like this, would they think they were being loved? Because we love others the way we love ourselves. That's what Jesus said. Why can we do this? I have no doubt that there are some here saying, oh, this is really nice and I like this, but you know, it really doesn't change anything. If he really knew me, he would understand how unlovable I really am. And I, can't, I don't think that God can love me. I don't think anybody else can love me. I, don't, I definitely don't love him. I'd like you to look in Romans chapter 5. Here's why you can love me. You can't love you because you're perfect or wonderful or amazing. But I think you can love you because God loves you. In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked forward and He knew exactly what you would look like. 
And he sent Jesus to die for you anyway. God knew exactly what GPA you would have in high school or college and what scores you would get on your SAT or ACT. And, and he sent Jesus to die for you anyway. God knew every mistake you would make on the job, every mistake you would make in your home. God knew every mistake you would make, every wrong word that you would say. He knew all of that. And he sent Jesus to die for you anyway. God knew every sin you would commit. He knew every sin you would commit in secret. He knew every sin that everybody else would find out about. He knew every time that you would be arrested. He knew every time that you would cause somebody else to stumble. He knew it all. And he sent Jesus to die for you anyway. God loves you. That's why you can love him. And I want you to know that I love you. There is not anything you could possibly tell me that you have thought or done that is going to cause me to love you any less. Not one single thing. And I know that I can't actually speak for everybody within this auditorium, but I'm pretty convinced that for most of the people here, there's not one single thing you could say that you have done or thought that the rest of the folks here wouldn't love you to. You are allowed to love you. And the great thing that we can remember is getting back to God and His love for you. There's not one thing you can do today to make God love you any more than He already does. There's not one thing that you can do today to make God love you any less than he already does.